It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. Hello listeners and welcome back to yet again another episode of the Beautiful Game Podcast. As always, I'm your host Budge and I'm joined by my faithful two co-conspirators Dot and Dej. Really quickly before we get cracking with this episode, we're going to run through uh, a brief itinerary so you're all familiar and up to speed with what we're going to be discussing and dissecting. So we're going to be quizzing a very special guest on all things regarding uh, Manchester City. We're going to then go into uh, an international roundup reviewing the games that the lads uh, were, were able to catch this weekend. Um, and then have a bit of a deep dive into England uh, going forward and uh, the, the the next Euros. We are then going to go into um, the review of an interesting tweet that we posted that garnered a lot of traction uh, on the topic of uh, Matisse Delict. And then we are going to uh, have a look back on the career of Bastian Schweinsteiger, who this week announced his retirement from the beautiful game. And we're going to also be uh, previewing uh, a big game uh, coming up this coming Sunday uh, between Manchester United and and Liverpool. And we're going to wrap things up with a new uh, segment that we're introducing, which is going to be uh, stating your unpopular opinion. Um, So we hope you enjoy it and stay tuned. All right, gents. So how are we doing? How are we doing? I'm good, bud, man. How are you, man? I'm excited for this one. Yeah, Obviously, 100%. the international break is nearly over. So, yeah, man, it's nearly time to celebrate. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to this one as well. Um, yeah, man. I, I'm, I'm just raring to go, honestly. Mm. That's, that's, I can't say anything else, to be I, honest. I can't lie. Watching England makes me sad, man. They just <laughs> they let, let me down, man. And I think, yeah, this is a proper team. They just... You know, start acting nah, up. I hear you. I hear you. Well, of course, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna delve into that as well, isn't it? And, and on the episode, so that should be interesting to to hear your thoughts and your views on that um that one dot. How about you, Dej? How are you doing, man? Yeah, man. No Premier League, no problem. You know, we've been keeping <laughs> ourselves busy. I like that one. Yeah. 
internationals. I've been watching a few games. Obviously, we're going to get into the England game and touch onto that properly because we've got a few, you know, elephants in the room that need to mm. be addressed. Yeah, 100%, man. And that, that actually reminds me. Yeah, look, there was no Premier League games this weekend, but we don't stop. Mm. You know, we still are producing content. We're still making it, sure man. that we're, 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 we're providing something for the Monday morning commute, man. Mm. So, so really, really looking forward to this. Yeah, we've got a low, you know, cult of people that support us. So we can't leave them in the lurch. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, man. Thank you to everyone that listens, man. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is it. Cool. So we are um, joined uh, by a very, very special uh, guest, a well-esteemed guest, um, who's, who's, who's joining us uh, via conference. Now, this special guest um, is currently a Manchester City correspondent at The Athletic. He previously was at uh, Goal.com for seven years. Um, he's also been a sports writer at the BBC um, a few years back for a year. Uh, and also fluent in, in, in Spanish and Portuguese, which, which, which makes me inclined to believe that, you know, maybe he, he knew something a few years ago that we, that we, we didn't know. You know? <laughs> the whole link up at, at, at Manchester City, you know, Spanish. Yeah. May, I don't know. Maybe he's got a crystal ball somewhere. Um, but, uh, you, you've gone a bit, you've gone a bit far with that. I'm not, not quite fluent, but. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say, Sam, can you teach me? Fair play. But without further ado, we welcome Sam Lee to the podcast. Welcome. Welcome, 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 welcome. welcome. Oh, thanks very much. Now, 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 Sam, we, we felt it was, um, a, an opportune moment to, um, to interview you and, and, and pick your brains on, on all things regarding City at the moment. Um, now, obviously, you know, uh, uh, you know, everyone's very well aware of, 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 of the, the lofty heights, um, that City have, uh, been performing to over, over the uh, past couple of years. Um, you know, the, the, the points total that they've been amassed, that they, that, that they've, they've uh, managed to amass, the, 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 the hall of trophies that they've, they've brought in as well. And, and it just seems that at this present moment in time, things have gone a bit stale. Um, and, and so what we would just, you know, like to, to, to get your view on is, you know, what, what actually is, is currently go, uh, going wrong at, at City. Now, I, I, I know, you know, um, they've, they've had uh, a load of injuries, which, you know, no one would, would, would have, um, no one, no one would have been able to prepare for. Um, but, you know, in recent games, you know, the, the, the loss to Wolves, the loss to, um, Norwich, um, of course, you know, now, now, now people are looking at it and thinking, you know, maybe, uh, their chances of, of, of retaining the Premier League, uh, this year are, are quite slim. So, so what, what are your thoughts on, on that, Sam? You know, what's, what's happening over in the camp? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you mentioned stale there. And, you know, I don't think, like, the performance against Wolves was definitely stale. Like, the, mm. the Wolves performance, I think, pound for pound, was probably the worst performance since Guardiola came. Because mm-hmm. in the first season, you know, everyone knew the problems they had. And, you know, with the squad and that the players couldn't necessarily do what they wanted and all that kind of stuff. So everyone knew that. So, you know, there was, there was always going to be bad defeats then. But, you know, this season, by this stage, you know, no one's expecting a performance like that. Where they mm. didn't really create any chances. They deserved to lose. You know, they conceded a lot of more, you know, more than good chances. You know, Wolves probably created more in the first half or at least had better chances in the first half than they did in the second. Um, but, you know, thinking about it and thinking about how I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to go back and sum up these problems next week in an article... Like, I don't, you know, in terms of like off the pitch stuff, I think they had more off the pitch problems this time last year than they do now. Oh, you know, wow. Last year, 
last year they had the thing with Mendy being in the boxing and you know getting in on a row with Guardiola. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he got in a row with Guardiola. He was in a, he was injured, but he was told not to be around the first team for like a, a week, I think it was. Um, it was around the end of September that Sane got dropped from the squad, not all together, and there was a, like, a couple of problems there. Um, obviously, De Bruyne was injured as well. But like, in terms of like, off-pitch stuff and the kind of things you think could like, derail a season, I think, as far as I know at the moment, there's there's nothing compared to last season. I think it's all on-pitch on at the moment. And, mm-hmm. you know, these problems are... It's, it's, you know, it's relative. So when we're talking about these problems, they're still second. Obviously... You know, so it's not like United level problems where like everything is terrible. You know, it's just like <laughs> yeah, but it's, Sam, it's can just I, a few things that aren't working. Yeah, go on, go on. Can I interject? You say that it's not Man United level problems, but when you look at the table, this is a poor start from Manchester City football. Yeah, yeah, club. yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, and I was going to say because it's like the levels the City have set. You know what we expect mm. from them, and it's not an unreasonable expectation, is it? You know, we expect City to be well to have won every game, or at least if not have won every game, then you could expect like the Spurs game to be the only one where they drop points, which was just a bit of a free. Yeah, Sam, but just to buttress on bad. Dot's point, I mean, I'm going to read you, you know, the eight-game sample size that Pep has accrued throughout his time yeah. in the Premier League. 2016-17 after eight games, six wins, one draw, one loss. 17-18 after eight games, seven wins and a draw. Last season, Six wins and two draws. This season, we've seen City have five wins, one draw, two defeats. I know it's only eight games, but how terminal do you think this is going to be in terms of Manchester City's season? Has this City side reached their Mount Everest? Are they full up domestically? Well, yeah, because the thing is, like, when you go back to January and City lost to Newcastle and it was like 14 games left and loads of City fans were like, no, it's over. I was thinking, what are you on about? There's loads of time left. And obviously now there's even more time left. But the, the, the problems they've got on the pitch, which I guess we'll come to, you know, the problems they've got on the pitch, I can see that happening, you know, again in a few upcoming games or at least, you know, games until like January, February when like Laporte's going to be back or maybe, I don't know, if they can buy someone or if Sane's going to come back or whatever until... Or even until like, De Bruyne comes back, whether it's against Palace after the international break or the week after or whatever, you know, they're still going to have these problems. So when you've got a team like Liverpool who aren't playing up, you know, Liverpool have got a difficult run as well. They'll drop points eventually. But like as it stands right now, I can see City dropping more points than Liverpool in the next like two, three months. It's, pro- it's harder to look any further beyond that. Um, so yeah, so in terms of like, being terminal for the league, maybe. But I mean, if I can just kind of give a general outline of what is going on. Like I say, I don't think there's much in terms of off the pitch. I don't think you've got any players like wanting out or problems like that. Um, basically, the injuries play a large part in it. Like mm. Sane, I don't know if you want to speak about Sane later on or whatever, but you know, people like the fact that Sane didn't play much at the end of last season, you know, people are thinking, oh, well, you know, they didn't need him last season, so why would they need him now? But I know it was a long, it was a long period. There's kind of 14 games that they won or, you know, it was kind of after January at the time they didn't play, but you know, he still came in from time to time. There was still kind of that pressure there. And for that spell, I'd say that was more of a freak. And I don't think you can expect two players, no matter who they are, like Sterling and Bernardo, to to play with that consistency, mm. you know, over a full season. So, like, Mahrez has stepped up and he's added, he's added a few goals and assists. He's done pretty well in probably four or five games in all competitions. Um, but, like, 
even with Sane having his problems last year, he still put up like, really good numbers. To be honest, I, I was going to check the exact figures before I Sam. came on, but unprofessionally, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. He was he was still putting up a lot. Of course, Sam, and just to you know, buttress your point, I mean, Leroy Sane, he came clutch in the game against Liverpool. Yeah, he, yeah. Like, he delivers big moments. And at the time of that injury, I said, this is worrying for Man City because he may not be the main man, but any time he does come on the pitch, he's a difference maker. Yeah, and like the Wolves game, they needed something different. Um, and he, like, he would have he would have helped in some way. Oh, you know, he had, he's got the potential to have helped. I mean, the funny thing is, City could well have sold him anyway if he didn't get injured and they okay. wouldn't have replaced him. So, I mean, they would have been in this problem anyway. But, I mean, the main one, like, so last season when they lost at Christmas to Palace at home and then Leicester, they lost back-to-back and they lost to Chelsea before that. Basically, what the problems were there, in my opinion, were they didn't have one of... Silver and De Bruyne in each of those games and they didn't have Fernandinho in the Christmas games so basically if the attack's not working as it should because obviously the number eights do so much work especially on that left-hand side David Silva ties everything together the wingers they don't have to dribble you know they can play a one-two and they can get in behind cut the ball back City score a goal we've seen that happen so many times when Silva's not playing or he's not his best you know that that whole kind of link-up breaks down on the right-hand side, when De Bruyne is not there, you know, with Gundogan, Gundogan does different things, but he's not putting in those killer crosses like De Bruyne does, because so, like, nobody can. Sam, so the whole attack kind of breaks Sam, down. Go on, go on, go on. Go just on. to interject, you, you mentioned Gundogan, and this is someone that's, you know, come under a lot of scrutiny recently. It seems yeah. that when him and David Silva play as a, as a two in the centre mid, Man City seem to, to not get good results. Yeah, it's a, bit, it's a bit slower, don't get me wrong. Well, to be fair, it seems like... Uh, I'm, on the basis of this season, Norwich and Wolves, then yeah, that's, that's, that's an easy comparison to make, a conclusion to draw. But I mean, I looked at it, um, because I wrote about Gundogan, uh, and his role against Wolves, you know, how he plays with Silva. And I looked at it from last season and, you know, they, they won more games, you know, much more games than they lost. It was something like 12 out of 14 that they played yeah. in the last season. The season before that, they only played together four times. It was like two wins and two defeats. Mm. But I mean, I know what you mean. There's definitely that kind of, there's, there's that lack of dynamism. But the thing is, when it came to like the Wolves game, so you've got the attack that's not working quite as it should, but you haven't got Fernandinho there either. And at least before, you know, Fernandinho, if there were five to put out, he'll put them out. Mm. Now they've got Rodri, and Rodri started really well. You know, he's really good on the ball, but, you know, the, the coaching staff, you know, they expected in the, in the summer that he was going to have, you know, he's going to need time to, you know, learn when to go press, learn where to position himself and learn, you know, just learn the kind of Fernandinho dark arts of getting the ball back. People talk about tactical fouls, but he wins it back as well, fairly. Yeah, because I saw an article saying that Rodri says that he's learning, you know, the tactical fouls, but I just want to, you know, shine a further spotlight on that midfield. And it seems that I was looking, having a brief look throughout the stats and in Pep Guardiola's debut season, um, the X goal against Man City was 0.6 per game. And yeah. now this season is doubled. So surely this yeah, must yeah. be a serious concern for, for Pep Guardiola. And I know there's a lot of, you know, defensive injuries. I know Benjamin Mendy is being curtailed by injuries. Um, Laporte is out until the new year. But surely this is more of a team thing rather than yeah, an exactly, individual yeah. point of view. Yeah, this is, this is, I like how this is going, actually, because I'm kind of giving you the boring kind of, oh, this is going on this area. You guys are cutting in with all these really... <laughs> Interesting, like relevant stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> so we, we've kind of done how we've kind of done how the attack's not working, and so like you know how I mentioned, you know, 
if it's not really working on the left-hand side, they're not getting to the byline and putting the crosses in. They haven't got De Bruyne on the right-hand side to put those killer balls in. So what do they do? You know, Sterling just looks at four men in front of him and he goes, well, I'm going to try and take him on and he gets tackled. Or he gives it back to Zinchenko and Zinchenko puts a ball in. Or it was Dalf last Christmas. He puts a ball in and gets cleared away. That's why City, if you look at it, whenever they've lost in these games, two this season and two over Christmas, they just put in balls. They put in balls in the box. There's about 30 crosses on average in all those games, which is like much higher than usual. So they've kind of run out of ideas and attack. And then there's more pressure on the defensive midfielder. Over Christmas, Fernandinho was injured, so he wasn't there. This year, it's Rodri because, you know, they need to bed him in. And they knew he would have problems. And one of the ideas they would have was to play a, a midfielder a bit deeper. At the start of the season, it was a bit more subtle. It was a bit more De Bruyne. You know, he was just going back a little bit deeper, but nothing okay. major. In the last couple of games, it's been Gundogan. So this was his problem against Wolves. He was so deep. You know, he wasn't even really asked to go and do the De Bruyne thing. You know, there was no link up with Mahrez at all. Yeah. You know, Walker was told to stay back as well because, you know, obviously Walker's really quick. And Guardiola was like, because of the problems we had, we needed him to stay back in that first half. So there was no one on the right-hand side. So that's another reason why they didn't really create anything against Wolves. And then you've got all this burden. You know, Wolves played pretty high up for a lot of it. Or when they, they at least defended deep, but when their goals came from, they won the ball in midfield. And City were kind of so pushed up they could break and counter. And that's because, again, they don't have that, like, they don't basically don't have Fernandinho to shield the defence. But at least last season, when they had those issues, you know, Fernandinho wasn't there. They still had a strong defence. You know, Walker was playing pretty well. He had a bad spell yeah. over Christmas, but at the end of the season, he was playing well. Sinchenko was playing really well in the last 14, 15 games. Uh, Laporte was there, obviously. And then, you know, it didn't really matter. You know, company, company was there, and he was like a huge character. He didn't really, you know, he was a bit shaky on the ball at the start of some big games, but defensively he was solid. And then, you know, Otamendi came in and he was playing well. And Otamendi plays well when he's protected and he doesn't have to, like, panic. But this ties it all in together. So you've got the, the attack in certain games isn't working. They put balls in the box. They can't, you know, they can't get Aguero in the game. The opposition have got more opportunities to, to you know, pass out from the back or launch balls forward or whatever. You've got Rodri, who's had a good start, but he's not Fernandinho yet. So the defence is under more pressure, and that defence is a mess at the minute. You know, yeah. <laughs> Walker's, Walker's not playing well. Otamendi, like I said, he's good when he's protected, but he's far from protected at the moment. Fernandinho is their best defender at the moment. He's played like five <laughs> games there, and, and he's uh, been making mistakes. Zinchenko's been bad. Well, uh, yeah, kind, kind of, kind of. Yeah, Sam, what I wanted to ask you as well is Manchester City when they go a goal behind they seem to almost, you know, freeze and go into panic mode. I mean, yeah. last week we had Duncan on the platform. I think in the first half of the Wolves game, they had six crosses. Then I think in the second half, it went up to 20 crosses. So what do you think causes this? And why is there this sort of panic with a team that's so good? Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a weird thing. Like Before Guardiola, I remember my first season covering City was with Pellegrini's last season. And the stat was still knocking around then. And it went back to like, you know, the, the last time that City were losing a game and come back to win was that game at Norwich, you know, when Delia Smith was on the pitch asking the fans where they were, all that, that kind of stuff, which was about 15 years ago. And I think City have done it a couple of times when Pep's been the manager. I was thinking about it and there will be a, a couple of others, but I just remember one in the first season. Like, it was the December of the first season and they went down to Arsenal early on and then came back and won. Um, but they generally don't do it and find, like, on one hand, it doesn't happen very often because, you know, normally, you know, City score really or, you know, they, they just pen the teams back and, they you know, everything's good. But generally, I think when they lose, and particularly this season, 
like I said about the Wolves game, the Norwich game too, the attack wasn't really working. Things yeah. re- weren't really working as planned. And the whole thing about City, you know, when people talk about, you know, the money being, oh, yeah, well, you know, you spend that much money, you're going to get this. Fine, you, you might win the Premier League with money, but you're not going to get 100 points, you're not going to get 98, you're not going to win domestic treble. It, there's a different level at City, and it's the coaching, and it's the system. And it's, you know, it's the ideas Guardiola's got and the players' ability to carry them out. Everything works just like a machine. You know, all the players, yeah. they know what they need to do when they get the ball. They know where the other guys can mm. be. It works perfectly. I think when it doesn't work perfectly, yeah. they're kind of like, what the hell do we do now? Because <laughs> they're kind of drilled. You know, I think I think they're drilled in training. How many times does City shoot from outside the box? It doesn't really happen. I yeah. suppose a good example mm. of that. You know, obviously, companies got ball against Leicester yeah, is a good example of that. Oh, they yeah. do. But it wasn't working against Leicester, was it? Like, they needed something a bit like that. And company... Company's got that kind of defiant streak. You know, a lot of the players are probably be like, we're not supposed to do this, but company's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to do it. Why not? After the game, company. he said as much as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's him. You know, that's him all over. He's defiant. And he'll be like, oh, people are telling me not to do it. It's <laughs> yeah. like, hold on a minute. In, re- in real time, who was literally who was telling him not to do it? Like, he wouldn't have known that. But that's just him. You know, he's defiant. He will do it. But, you know, in City, they're all taught to like getting, you know, if you're in the box, Depending on the position in the box, they will know whether they need to pass or they need to shoot. It's all about you know how good the opportunities are. Okay, yeah. And when when that's not working, I just think it kind of goes to pieces a bit. And I wonder with the crosses because people have been asking me about that. And you think you know, City. You would say the City are a patient team, right? You would say, you know, City. They don't you know they don't shoot from long range. They don't try the killer pass if it's not on. You know, unless it's De Bruyne because you know he can do it. So why? So like why? You know why would they just chuck crosses in the box? Why would they not? If nothing's on and Zinchenko's got the ball on the left, why doesn't he just look back inside? Because Rodri's going to be open. Why doesn't he give it back to Rodri? But I'm thinking, once they get to the final third, I wonder if they're taught, look, you've come this far, don't go back. You know, you're in a dangerous position, don't go back. But the, the players have kind of interpreted that to be, well, we're in this position, we literally can't go back now. We've got to put the ball in the box. And I wonder if that's something they're going to change because it. It is happening quite a lot, you know. It's not just the one-off. Like I say, basically, whenever they lose, so Sam, they do the, this. Sorry, Sam. This just sorry to interrupt, but there's a term no, I like no, to use. Is it information overload? Uh, well, I mean, in kind of situations like this, maybe. But I mean, I look how far it's look how far it's got them, you know. And when it, you know, when it does work, which is like ninety-five percent of the time, yeah. it works brilliantly, doesn't it? So. Uh, but I think that is the issue. I don't think it's the overload. It's just they're told, you know, and people always talk about Guardiola whenever you speak to like, or hear about Barcelona players or Bayern Munich players, they go, oh, he'll say this is going to happen in the, in like in training. They'll say this thing will happen in the game and then it does. So the players are like, oh yeah, Guardiola's going to have all the answers. And then if, you know, if suddenly it doesn't work, I think they're just like, what the hell do we do? Because yeah. it's not that there's no plan B. It's just kind of like, just, it's just not working. It's It's like the whole thing breaks down and, there's, there's no, there's generally, there's nobody willing to, to take on something different, you know, apart from like company with that mad example. It's just, if they can't do their usual things, then they can't do anything basically, and that, that's going to be a problem. Yeah, yes. I, mean, I don't know. Sam, two games a season, three games a season, but now because of the injuries and the problems, it's happened a bit more. Yes, Sam, I just wanted to put my magnifying glass on one of Manchester City's players, Phil Foden. This is a man that Pep says, oh, I wouldn't sell him for 500 billion euros. I am so unfair on Phil Foden. Phil Foden is the most talented player I've ever seen. I am to blame for the lack of game time Phil Foden has been getting. Pep is saying all these things. Why isn't he playing him? 
Um, well, the thing is, like, basically, Guardiola. Well, I I believe that, genu- that Guardiola genuinely believes these things that he says. You know? Maybe not. He's the most talented player he's ever worked with. <laughs> yeah. But he he does think you know he does think Foden's great. He does think he's going to be great. But at the same time, you know, he's judged on winning trophies. And as good as Foden is, like in the cold light of day at the moment. And look, this is this is like the eternal argument, really. Because you think if he's not getting the opportunities, is he ever going to be this good? But yeah. one part of that is, you know, Guardiola really rates Gundogan. Like he loves Gundogan. Oh, so. son, man. <laughs> the, the, the thing is, if someone's worth five hundred million, as Pep Guardiola came yeah, out and yeah. boldly said, surely you have to be getting game time in the Premier League because Gundogan, yeah, yeah, his yeah. legs are gone. Yeah, he's shot to yeah, pieces. But Guardiola, yeah, but Guardiola doesn't believe his legs are gone. No, like if we were picking the team, then yeah, but you know we're not, and you know. Gundogan, David Silva, De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva. They're better than Phil Foden at the minute. That's not controversial, is it, really? It's not, to be fair. They're, so they're better the... players. They're international players with more experience. You know, Guardiola in the fields. Look, look at the way he... Look, Guardiola approaches, like, League Cup games. Fine, he plays like Eric Garcia and some of them. He plays younger kids and some of them. But he wants to win them all. You know, it's mm. not just like he thinks, oh, yeah, it's Brighton at home, whatever, I'll take the risk. Because, you know, to him, it would be a risk to play a player who's not better than the others and you know Foden at the moment isn't better than the others so he's not going to take that in inverted commas risk of playing Foden the other part of it is Guardiola the example that his people are putting out there kind of behind the scenes is like Xavi and Iniesta didn't play so they were like early early 20s and Guardiola genuinely thinks you know Foden needs to be protected and needs to not play not play so much now not be overexposed so much now like one journalist last year was like oh he's not playing do you think there's a there's a, you know, is there a fear that he couldn't play for England in the Euros next summer? He was like, that'll be a good, he goes, that'll be a good thing. We don't want, he can't have these kids playing too much football too soon. It's not good for them. Yeah, but we obviously we see we see Mason Mount and Abraham at the moment playing well, and that's and Samori. And you know that is like a kind of good example to do. But I mean, fair enough. Maybe they'll be still really good players in like ten, fifteen years, or maybe you know they'll be like a Michael Owen, Wayne Rooney situation where they're just burnt out by like late twenties. Who knows? I think that's what Guardiola's thinking. He doesn't want to burn him out. And he's got, at the moment, better players. But the other, the other side of that 500 million quote is, he's promised that David, when David Silva goes next summer, you know, Foden's going to step up. Do you think and he's Foden really going to play him? And there's a possibility that this might be um, Pep Guardiola's last season in charge at Man City. Because there's rumours going around from, especially people that I know, my friends, they say that the minute Pep starts losing, he's out of here. Uh, well, I mean... How often has, has that happened in his career, though? Like, I mean, even when, in the last season of Barca, he tried to change things around, but they still, they still won the league, didn't they? N- I don't um, think he's had like I don't think he's had a season where they've lost that much for him to like pack it in. You know, Bayern Munich. <laughs> <laughs> Bayern Munich, they won the league. They got the closest to the Champions League final out of all the three semi-finals. I don't know about that, um, but I mean, the thing is with Foden, fine. Look, if we're having this conversation like this time next year or. Christmas next year and Foden's still not on the team and David Silva's gone. And uh, if they sign someone like James Madison or something, then everyone could be like, right, what the hell is this? This is bullshit from Pep. You know, he's, what is he, like, he, you can't say this and then go and buy James Madison or whoever else. And why isn't he playing? <laughs> but I th- genuinely, I think now he's 19 years old. There's a load of different players above him in the pecking order. Over the course of the season, when there's injuries, you know, when there's four competitions, when it's really going over Christmas, when it's mad, he's going to play a lot. I still think it's early in the season to be kind of saying, where's Phil? But I can't, I can get it. I can get it. But I personally think it's still too early. Sam, I'm going to put you on the spot here. 
Yeah. Will Manchester City win the 2019-20 Premier League? Yes or no? No. So you think Liverpool will win it? I think so. I think so. Like, like I said at the start, I can only see kind of, you can only kind of really guess what's going to happen two or three months in front of you. Like February onwards, who knows? And, you know, Liverpool are going to drop points. Maybe they'll have a disastrous drop-off. But, in the, you know, over the, up until the end of the year, say, I can see City dropping more points than Liverpool between now and then. And, you know, they're already eight points behind already. So, I think I, if you're putting me on the spot, I'd say no. So you've nailed your colours to the mask. <laughs> Liverpool are going to win the Premier League title. Yes, Sam. Uh, I, just wanted, I wanted to go into, you know, a few listener questions. 20 yeah, yeah. seconds to answer each. We've well, got a question. A good friend of the platform, Rose, she's asking, with City's recent poor form in the Premier League, do you think they should just focus on the Champions League and the other cups? Or do you think they still have a chance of catching Liverpool, even though they are desperately missing Laporte in the back? No, they've still got a chance. They've still got a chance. And it's way too early for that. Uh, look, February, we're going to guess City are going to get to the last 16 of the Champions League. We're going to guess they're going to win that and get to the quarterfinals. But by that time, it's what? March, April? If they're out of the league running then, then they can rest like De Bruyne and Aguero at the weekend and keep them for the big Champions League game. But for now, it's way too soon. Fair enough. Um, this question is from Boss Axe, and he's saying that we should ask you about the Gundogan and Silver dynamic. What's yeah, their yeah. stats whilst playing in CM? He also said, point out the last three key losses, Tottenham CL first leg, Norwich away, and Wolves at home. Yeah, but the thing is with those, those are actually really specific examples because like the Tottenham Champions League game, Guardiola, and this goes back to the last question, Guardiola prioritised the Premier League because he was like, right, we've got two opportunities to beat Spurs, so we'll play a tight defensive game at White Hart Lane and try and win the second leg. Obviously, it backfired, but, you know, Aguero had the penalty. Yeah. So that was different. You know, they weren't they weren't told to attack. Um, the Norwich game, bit different, probably, you know, gone over my 20 seconds already. Uh, but the Wolves, <laughs> game, the Wolves game, for example, you know, Gundogan wasn't okay. getting forward <laughs> doing the same as De, Bru- uh, De Bruyne. He wasn't supporting Mares. Walker wasn't getting forward, so like the whole right side of the attack wasn't working. Left side of the attack, it was just easy. It was easier to shut down David Silva, who's not playing well at the minute, you know. And so Sterling couldn't get in the game, Aguero couldn't get in the game, Morris couldn't get in the game. Problems at the back. So yeah, I mean they've those two have started in those three games. But if you look at the you know the situation, the context of those games, you know them two, especially against Wolves and you know and Spurs, I need to look at Norwich a bit more. But, you know, I'd say Silver and Gundogan were victims as, as much as anybody else of, you know, the tactics and the circumstances in those games because they weren't being told to to do what they normally do when De Bruyne is playing. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, and finally... And, and, and finally, we've got um, a question, Sam, from um, at IamGish. Um, he asks, will Pep be dipping into the January transfer market to amend his defensive woes? Mm. It's difficult. Um, obviously, it's always difficult to buy in January, especially like the kind of player that City want. But the one caveat to that is, if you find someone with a buyout clause like Laporte, then that can happen. I know there was a report last week saying they wanted Ruben Diaz. I had a kind of suspicion about him in the summer. I heard his name mentioned kind of from the Leicester end when the Maguire thing went wrong. Uh, I was trying to find out, all I could find out in Portugal was that Benfica wanted to put his buyout clause up from 66 million to about 100 million euros. Wow. Because wow. they knew clubs were sniffing around. So I've, I've always kind of thought Ruben Diaz might be the one. But the problem mm. is, City's squad is full and like their overseas player quote is full. So it's not just, you know, the usual problems of buying a player. 
in January. They need to sell a player as well. Mm. Um, they would have sold Otamendi in the summer, but nobody came forward with a good enough offer. Okay. They would have sold him. They would have sold him. And then I think, and then they would have bought an overseas centre back. And again, I'm thinking that would have been Diaz. So if, and this is a huge if, if they can get rid of Otamendi in the middle of the season, maybe they call in George Mendes for a favour, right, get him to Benfica or <laughs> get him to Valencia or Monaco or China or whatever. And then maybe if they pay the buyer clause, it can happen. But you know, they get if not, you know, they're going to need to sell an overseas player. And maybe it's Sane, maybe it's Leroy Sane. Um, wow. But mm, you know, there's the whole thing. There's the whole things there with the injury, um, whether Bayern Munich are going to do it now, whether City think actually no, we're going to keep him for the end of the season because you know they, they might still have the Champions League in play, they might still have the Premier League in play, they might think, well, there's no point in selling him for 80 million now. We'll just keep him. So it, there's there's it, it's a really difficult, a really difficult situation. It's not just as simple as going and pay like a buyout clause to someone because they need to get rid of somebody as well. Yeah. I guess the next few months are going to be very, very interesting. Roll, roll on the uh, uh, January transfer window, then. Yeah, well, we'll know a lot. We'll know a lot more about City by then. We'll yeah. know a lot more about. Uh, absolutely, um, Sam. We just want to say a massive, massive thank you. We really do appreciate you coming on and and sharing, you know, your your, your thoughts and views with us. And mm. I mean, I, I definitely learned something. <laughs> that was an education. You know, that, that was, was, that was, that was <laughs> really, really great. You know, and and we just appreciate you allowing us to pick your brains on 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 all things City. So so thank you I very very much. I enjoyed it. Yeah, cheers, lads. I really enjoyed it. Cheers for and like, cheers for cutting in and asking like questions that kept me back on track. <laughs> no yeah. problem. I need I need that a bit more often. Cheers. <laughs> thank you, Sam. Thank, thank, thank you so much. Awesome, yeah, all all right, so Sam's now dropped off. You're left with the three amigos. <laughs> I don't know if and that's a going... good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> so, of course, as we already um, outlined in, in uh, the intro to the show, um, we've got a load of other things that we want to, 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 to run through. Um, I think the best place for us to start is uh, the England game. Um, so they played against uh, Czech Republic and lost 2-1. Um, what I wanted to ask you guys is uh, your thoughts on the game, but then also to lead into where you feel England are looking ahead to Euro 2020 um, and the chances that, 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 that England have with um, Gareth Southgate at the helm. Yeah, I mean, I watched the game. You mm-hmm. know, I usually don't watch many England games. I thought, you know what, let me tune into mm-hmm. this one. And Gareth Southgate got that starting eleven wrong. <laughs> I mean, when I looked at that back five, mm-hmm. Pickford, poor form for Everton. Mm-hmm. You know, you got Danny Rose. He was rested against Brighton. Mm-hmm. You know, shot for confidence. Tottenham are in a crisis. <laughs> Harry Maguire, he's come out and said, you know, I'm not feeling confident due to, you know, his Manchester United exploits. Mm-hmm. Again, Michael Keane. I mean, there's surely like 10 English centre-backs <laughs> better than him. Mm. Then, you know, you're going to um, right back as well with Kieran Trippier. You mm. know, last season when we saw him, he was shot for confidence as well. Mm. Obviously, he's gone to Spain now. He's having, you know, a better time. Mm-hmm. He's had an encouraging start. But Dej, you've got the best right back in the world in Trent Alexander sitting on the bench surely that's not right of course it's not right and that's why I said I said Gareth Southgate made a catalogue of errors mm. you know picking that team and moving swiftly into midfield Dutch, I mean Rice can I pull you up because mm. I want to just butcher us your point on, mm. on, on the back four mm. and I mean if I gave you their league positions in the league so far you will look at me and think I'm lying mm. Pickford and um, Michael Keane are 18th they're in the relegation zone. 
He's Maguire, shocking. he's shot for confidence. Man United are in 12th. And Tottenham, they're in ninth. Mm. And you're telling me that's the makeup of your back four? I'm sorry, Gareth Southgate. What are you thinking? He made a catalogue of errors, especially when you bear in mind you've got Ben Chilwell playing with confidence mm-hmm. for Leicester. Mm-hmm. You've got Tomore, who's on fire for Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we've, we're coming, you know, to a big Even day. Even though he's done, I, 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 yeah. I, I, And the thing is, like, Gareth Southgate, when he came in, he was like, my remit is to play the best players, the players that are in form. Mm. And you're just going against that. It, it, it doesn't yeah. make sense to me. Yeah, he had a clanger yesterday and he's come out and admit. And as I was going to say, when you go into midfield, we're coming, you know, amongst a very important day in the history of this country. You know, Brexit, October 31st. <laughs> and he played in midfield of Rice <laughs> and Henderson that if you want to get yourself out of Europe, which if they if they play in the, in the European Championships in the summer with that midfield, they're going to be taking a quick trip out of Europe because that midfield was so horrible. Then going forward, you've got, you know, Raheem Sterling. He's in a dire vein of form if you're comparing him against his lofty standards. Mm. One in five, it's poor. Mm-hmm. You know, Jaden Sancho, he's been in form in Germany, you know, but he got sucked into that, you know, lifeless mm. England side. Then Harry Kane, I mean, we're going to take a bit of a deep dive into him later on. Mm-hmm. Void of confidence as well within the Tottenham crisis. So and, Gareth Southgate mm. going absolutely horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. And also the utilisation of Mason Mount was a bit strange. It just doesn't make sense to me why he was so adamant that he had to play on that kind of left wing kind of position mm-hmm. when clearly we know that he's best, you know, running into the box. And just just to go back to Deji's point about the Brexit midfield that started, <laughs> I mean, Declan Rice, he's he's not been it for England. And anyone from the, you know, from the eye can see that Rice and Henderson doesn't work yeah. in the midfield. Mm-hmm. So why does Southgate continue to be so fixated with that pairing in the midfield? Mm-hmm. Surely it's time to see something else. It's terrible. When I saw that midfield, I remember that, like, Owen Coyle, midfield at Bolton, you know, Fabrice Muamba, Nigel, Rio Coca. And all it screamed out to me was mediocrity, basic barriers. And now you're trying to, you know, you want that midfield to perform at the top level in a European game against, you know, a competitive nation. Gareth Southgate got it wrong. I mean, we lauded him, you know, two summers ago when he got um, England to the semi-finals of the mm-hmm. World Cup. But now he has to take the bare brunt of the flack that he's going to receive for such a tepid performance. And what's interesting to me, it seems that uh, I'm starting to doubt whether Gareth Southgate actually has like a philosophy in terms of on the pitch. Because, you know, at the World Cup, he had he brought this feel-good feeling, you know, to the whole nation. The three at the back mm, worked yep, really, really yep. well for England. And all of a sudden, he's so adamant that he has to play four at the back. So that seems to me that he's probably trying to copy a style of play, probably trying to copy a Jurgen Klopp, copy a Pep Guardiola instead of imprinting his own philosophy. If you feel that three at the back is the best for the set of players you have, you've got to pursue with it because it doesn't make mm. sense to change. So basically, you think he's winging the job? Like just I wouldn't say winging the job, but I just feel that his decision-making is very, very questionable. And the reason why I was fully, you know, back in Southgate is because I really like the freshness that he brought to the England mm-hmm, camp. Mm-hmm. But now it seems like he's going in a rock. Yeah, I'd agree. I think England, but when you look at that squad, a lot of the players are void of confidence. Mm-hmm. But what, another decision that was questionable for me was bringing on Tammy Abraham for like two, three minutes. Is that mm-hmm. because you don't ca- want him to play for Nigeria? Yeah, that's so- what I'm trying to say. Like, he's basically handicapped him to be an England player. We all know England play a system with one up top and that's going to be Harry Kane mm-hmm, for the foreseeable mm-hmm. future. So now Tammy Abraham is stuck with England and he's not even the main man. 
yeah it's not right mm. to play him for three minutes yeah. I, I, I don't like to see stuff like that I know probably um, Southgate had good intentions but for me it's, it's not nice to play three minutes because you're the man in full and you've got no chance to make an impact on the game so it's just not fair for the young mm. lad I mean Harry Kane in the game had few chances you know to score and he looks void void of confidence but again if we're going to go into a deep dive of the game you know early on England Raheem Sterling winning that early penalty clear penalty I thought it was then within two three minutes from a set piece you know it was poor poor defending I mean you got two Everton players in that defense and it showed this is a Mm -hmm. defense that has Mm -hmm. conceded you know the most set pieces and it was like an Everton I mm-hmm. mean, how can you concede two or three minutes after you score a goal, manage the game? What were they doing? What were they thinking? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but Dej, I feel that like Jordan Pickford is a major reason to the lack of confidence in the defence because if I was a player playing as a defender, I won't have confidence in him because you always know that within any second he can make a mistake. Surely that must, you know, transition into the into the rest of the back four. Of course it does, but... This particular goal wasn't his fault. This was people not competing and doing their jobs. You have to win the first ball. If you don't win the first ball, win the second ball. And that's what failed them. Then the person or the player just snuck it in into the near side post. I think someone made a good point that the, the problem is, is that England's two best centre-backs are not playing for their clubs at the moment. I mean, mm. you've got Joe Gomez and you've got um, John Stones. Not to say, to be honest, I'm not, I'm not John, John Stones. I'm not, I'm no, not what I was going to say, fan. is he better than Harry Maguire? It's a tough one, but let's be honest. Harry Maguire, ever since the World Cup, has he has he been good? I think ever since he's gone to Man United, I know it's early, but I think his performance level has regressed. I mean, we have to say Man United's whole performance, you know, has regressed as well. I mean, mm-hmm. playing in that team, you're not actually going to be, you know, shooting with confidence. Because, mm-hmm. because when you look at it, <laughs> as crazy as it sounds, he was probably better off staying at Leicester. If you take away the financial package away from it and the fame and the limelight of playing for Man United, Leicester are in a better moment than Man United. Of course. I mean, mm. as a player, you need to pick your times when you're going to a project. Brendan Rodgers has brought this freshness around the place. Man United, they're in trouble. They're trying to, you know, restore themselves to their lofty heights that they mm-hmm. were before. And I think it's all culminating on the pitch. I mean, if you're playing the FM game mm-hmm. and you're looking through that 11 of team, you see morale, poor, below average. <laughs> Why don't you yeah, play all yeah, these yeah. Tamoris, yeah. these fresh guys that are playing mm-hmm. for their club sides? And I think also what Southgate done, he looked ahead to the Bulgaria game. Yeah. He's probably thinking, mm-hmm. you know what? Trying to Chilwell, take shortcuts. Yeah, Chilwell and Trent, you know what? Don't worry, you're playing in the Bulgaria game. Mm-hmm. And, I don't and get it's come this, back to buy him. I don't get this because he done this in the last international break. He rotated the fullbacks in both games. Just come on, settle on the back four and, and stick to it. Yeah, I think obviously that probably points to the fact that he thinks... In this England side, he's got two options, two, mm. you know, strong options for each side. And mm. this has come back to be his undoing. But what I will say is it's one game. I think England have lost their first game in like 10 years yep, 10 since years they lost the to Ukraine. Yep. So let's not beat him out while he's down. Let's look at mm. the good that he's done. And, you know, sometimes you need this. Yeah, at least they can learn from this. Something came forward. out and he was actually scathing saying that, oh, we're going to have no chance of, of winning the Euros if we continue like this. So I think this is a serious wake up call that this England team needed. I'd agree mm. with that. And as I said, when you're winning games convincingly, sometimes, you know, it can bring like a full sense of security. Mm-hmm. And I think now that'll be wiped away. The England players will think, you know what? We've got some work to do. We're nothing mm. now. We're starting <laughs> our process from scratch. Just to round up uh, on, on this topic, I wanted to ask you guys, I know this is a question that I asked you a little while back on, mm. I don't know how many episodes. I know ago, what you're going to say. But I want to ask you guys going forward, 
um, and looking at Euro 2020, what team is the strongest starting eleven for England? <laughs> I feel like I'm committing a crime saying this, but... Mm. <laughs> I'm going to have to go with Jordan Pickford and go. <laughs> I just... <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think Henderson will be running in very, very close at that, at that mm-hmm. moment. Right back, I'm going to go with who I call the best fullback in the world, the best right back in the world, Trent Alexander-Arnold. That's an interesting take. Um, I, I think we might have to put a tweet out on that as well and ask <laughs> yeah. what, people, what people's thoughts are on that, yeah. Let me make it clear mm-hmm. The best right back Not the best full back The best okay. right back mm-hmm. um, At left back I'm going to go with The amazing Ben Chilwell At Leicester mm-hmm. I really am, I'm a big fan of him mm-hmm. The two centre backs I'm going to go with Oh it's a tough one <laughs> I can see the struggle In your face there <laughs> I'm just going to go With Harry Maguire Because okay. I think He brings that experience And I think With the right setup. Um he can build um, a formidable partnership with with the with the right player. So I'm going to go with Maguire and Joe Gomez. Um, then in midfield it gets tricky. Funny, funnily enough, I said um, maybe a three at the back is the better option, but I'm going to play four three three. So I'm going to have three midfielders. I'm going to have Declan Rice at the pivot. Mm-hmm. I just think. He needs more games for England because I'm, I'm a, really a big fan of him. I really like the way he plays. Mm. I think he's getting better on the ball and he's he's really got the personality to play for England. Then in the midfield, I'm going to... Gosh, what is wrong with me? I'm contradicting myself. I'm going to go with Jordan Henderson, I think. Um, but I think it's a toss-up between Henderson and Winks. Um, mm-hmm. Probably I'll go with whoever's in the best form at the time. Mm. And then the third midfielder, I'm going to go with that man at Leicester, James Madison. One of my favourite English players. I love him. I love watching him. So he's definitely a mainstay in my mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. Then on the wings, I'm going to go with Raheem Sterling on the left. And I'm going to go with Jaden Sancho on the right. And up top, it's, it's funny because I'm going to say Harry Kane because you have to say Harry Kane because mm-hmm. he's England's best player. But are you trying to fit someone into a system that doesn't fit into the system? Mm. But because he's so good, you have to have to play him. And mm. he's, the, he's the national team captain. Yeah, if I was to just, you know, come in and give my 11 for England, um, I just scribbled it down quickly. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I'll go for Nick Pope in goal. Okay. I wow. think Jordan Pickford I think he just comes with too much he comes with too much baggage yeah. let's be honest yeah, like, yeah. there's too much going on around him just take him out the firing line don't, you don't need his gimmicks I, I recall you calling him a nitty yeah like he moves around he's so fidgety something's always happening if you look at him he's shouting at someone he's always doing something so yeah I'll go with him in goal I'll go with Trent right back I'll go with Gomez centre back partnering, you know, Maguire, <laughs> Chilwell at left back. Okay. So Harry Winks in the pivot, you know, just okay, keeping the ball. Mm-hmm. Then I'll go with Henderson and Mount around um Harry Winks. Interesting. Then right, I'll go Sancho, left, Sterling, Harry Kane up top. But Harry Kane is a man that's causing me a few cause for concerns. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, when I dissect his stats, 14 goals in 2019, just nine goals from open play this calendar year. For Harry Kane, that's shocking. I mean, seven goals in 10 (laughs) games. It looks great, but when you dig beyond that surface, there's a massive cause for concern with him. 35% of those goals are coming from the penalty stats. Wow. Let's remember, this is a man in 2017, he scored 46 goals excluding penalties. And 29 Mm. in 2018. Kane, he's got four fewer goals in open play than Heung-Min Son. 
and eight fewer wow. than Wolf striker Raul Jimenez. I mean, that's shocking. What's up there? Do you think is the he was rushed back from that ankle injury? Do you think that's probably a problem that he hasn't fully gotten over it? Maybe so. And also, obviously, this is coinciding with Tottenham's poor 2019. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's be mm-hmm. honest, Tottenham have been poor for the last 18 months. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think Harry Kane... It's, it's something that definitely something, needs to be looked at. Definitely. Has he reached these, you know, Mount Everest, as I like to say? <laughs> yeah. Has he reached has, these peaks? Has peak? he hit a yeah. plateau? Yeah. We saw when Rooney burned out at a mm. young age. And maybe we're seeing the same with Harry Kane. Mm, it's one to keep an eye on. Absolutely. Fair point. Okay. Let's let's move on now. Um, I think we also wanted to brush um, over the, some of the other international uh, results very, very quickly. Um, let's look at the result between Norway and Spain. Mm. Yeah, I, I like this Spain team. I mm-hmm. don't know what you guys feel, but I really like watching them. I think um, Robert Moreno's doing a great job in charge at, at the helm. Mm-hmm. Um, he's implementing a, a lot of young players into the system. Um, special shout out to Oyarzabal because I really liked what I saw mm-hmm. yesterday. They played him in the false nine yeah. position and he's a player that reminded me a bit of David Silva, but he also had the explosive pace to pretty much run him behind. I mean, um, Fabian Ruiz looked really good in the midfield. He's got a, a brilliant, brilliant left foot. He plays for Napoli. He's having a really good season. Um, his trajectory seems to be going up every season. I know. Yeah, I watched the game as well. I caught some moments from it. I mean, Ayazabal, funny enough, you mentioned him. This was a guy that was mm-hmm. mooted to be going to Manchester City. Mm-hmm. If Leroy Sane mm-hmm. left before he suffered that bad injury. Mm-hmm. Fabian Ruiz. I mean, if I was Manchester United... I'll be presenting a blank check to him and saying, how much wages do you want? Mm. Because he's someone that, you know, Mm. in the future, he's going to be a top, top player. Mm -hmm. So I'm surprised no one in, you know, Europe has, you know, broken the bank for him because he's Mm. a talented player and he's going to be destined for great things. He's an interesting one because he has that, you know, physicality as well. He's a bit tall, he's a bit gangly, so he can probably adjust to the Premier League. Mm. Um, Just to talk about the game, I think um, Norway looked really, really impressive. I know Spain had the majority of the possession and the majority of the, you know, um, big chances, but I feel that Norway showed a lot of fighting spirit and I just want to, you know, shine a spotlight on Martin Odegaard. Mm. Wow. Yeah. What what a player. Player, He reminded me yesterday of Bernardo Silva playing at his best. I mean, the weight of pass that this guy has, I remember a chance where he set Josh King through and Josh King, I think, kicked it wide. But it was just perfect. And you can see that anytime he got the ball, the players started responding to him Mm. straight away Mm -hmm. because they know that he has that accuracy and that, you know, diligence to put vertical Mm. passes forward on a plate all the time. What a player. I mean, yeah, Odegaard, it's funny you mention him again. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, at a young age made that big move mm-hmm, to Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, everyone's spotlight was on him. Who's this guy? I mean, I remember him, you know, having tours of Melwood and stuff like that. Then mm-hmm. he seemed to lose his way. But the interesting thing is, is that we feel like he's been around for eternity, but he's only, what, 20? Of course, that's what I'm saying. So his trajectory is going to, you know, skyrocket mm. and he's going to be destined for great things. I know right now he's on loan at, I think, Real Sociedad. And he's having mm. a terrific season. Mm. Yeah, so Real Madrid loaned him, you know, to Heron Vane, you know, scored three goals in 38 um, games. Mm-hmm. Not the best of stats. 
Yeah, but then, he's, he's even a player that you don't really judge him on his, on his goals because he's that chief creator. Mm. Yeah, then, you know, last season he had an impressive spell at Vitesse, you know, scoring eight goals in 31 games. And I think this is where, you know, Europe's air started perking up and saying, mm. is this guy really a talent? Mm-hmm. Then, you know, so far, Real Sociedad, six games, two goals. So this is a guy that's showing that, yes, he can fulfil his potential. And it's going to be very interesting to see how his career culminates. Yeah, surely he's going to be like a player that, you know, Real Madrid are going to put massive stocks in next season he's going to be I feel one of the first team starters um Kepa what what was he thinking I mean Superman was the impression <laughs> we put on our Twitter and yeah. people seem to be responding to it. I mean he's a keeper Jury's still out for me I'm not a major fan of his mm-hmm. highest you know most expensive goalkeeper in the world surely you want more last minute of the game take him on win the ball win your team the game mm-hmm. yet again he's costing his you know, national team. Like, it's interesting and funny at the same time because David De Gea has been dropped due to poor performances, but the goalkeeper that you're bringing in <laughs> isn't very good. Yeah. So David De Gea's poor performances are still probably better than Kepa at his best, but we move. Yeah, like, w- when I look at the Spain team, I mean, you know, I would say three quarters of the way through a transition. Mm. They've still got, you know, aging players like Navas, Ramos there. You know, Busquez carrying mm-hmm. his walking stick, patrolling mm-hmm. that yeah. midfield. These are probably three players in the mm-hmm. next, you know, year to two. They're probably not going to be mm-hmm. in the Spain mm-hmm. squad. But when you look around, Ayazabel, Rodrigo, Niguez, you know, Ruiz, Pena. I mean, you've got some good talented mm-hmm. players there that can, you know, potentially rival, you know, the French side that we're seeing. I like what I saw from, from Spain yesterday. Um, I think one cause for concern is is that midfield dynamic. They need to get that trio right. I know Rodri was, was tipped to start, but he didn't actually start. And he came on um, later on in the game and he was playing with Busquets. And it looked like they were trying to, you know getting in mm. each other's way because they're a similar type of yeah, player yeah. so I think once they get that dynamic I think they're going to be a real threat in the in the next major tournament so what do you consider them a contender for next year's Euros or what do you think yeah with Spain you, you can't count them out they've got the quality the problem is do they have the ability to score enough goals I'm not entirely sure and also Thiago he's not in that trio do you think he should be a firm start a firm fixture in that middle yeah he's the he's the best midfielder they have also, great to see Santi Cazorla back, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm happy to see him, you know, back performing at a high level. T- past few years, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, I love Santi, but he was pretty poor yesterday, to be honest. I mean, come on, he's playing with half an Achilles. I mean, <laughs> surely, if you can make your way back to international level with half an Achilles, mm. you know, you, you no, deserve what, all the credit. What, what mm. a player, man. I'm a, I love I love Santi. Good to see him back playing for Spain. Absolutely. It was a real, it's good to see. Definitely. Yeah, cool. Um, so also, uh, Holland played against, um, Northern Ireland. Um, the game ended in a 3-1 win for, for, for Holland. Uh, did you guys manage to catch that game? Yeah, your, I watched the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting game. Obviously, it's what you expected before the game. Mm-hmm. Attack versus defence. Northern Ireland have this way of, you know, just staying compact and mm-hmm. staying in the game for as long as possible. And, you know, again, we caught this on our cameras and posted it on our Twitter. They took the lead you know, virtue of some shocking, two pieces of shocking defending mm. from, you know, Delict mm-hmm. that, you know, was poor. I mm. mean, you know, this is a record or top, top rated defender that mm. we saw at Ajax, you know, and now he's moved to Juventus and he's been making some howlers. Let's be mm. real. You know, so McGuinness scored a goal. Mm-hmm. Then you're thinking, wow, this is going to be a real snatch and grab. Then, mm. you know, 
Holland, you know, are playing against tiring legs. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been working the ball, even though it wasn't the greatest of performances, they worked the board and they just broke Ireland's hearts. Then once mm. it was 1-1, there was only going to be one winner. And, and that's how we saw it culminate, you know, 3-1. Just so you turn and go back to Delict, it's, it's funny because I remember in the Champions League running, I was like, it's impossible to play like this. Like, mm-hmm. like, performing to that level at 19 shouldn't be allowed and I was saying it and I was like listen I I can't understand how you can Mm. perform at this level at 19 and that's the problem we have in today's game is that we see players for two games and they have their best games of their career and we think automatically wow this is the next best thing since Mm -hmm. sliced bread and this is just more of a calm down period that delete yes he's a great talent but he's going to make mistakes because he's Mm. a young player I'm going to ask you is he a generational talent um, I don't know how to answer that question, but what I would say mm-hmm. is that from what I've watched, he's got generational attributes. Mm. What's yeah. really interesting, I'm sorry to interject, Dej, but we obviously put out a tweet that we, um, we saw garner a lot of traction. And we just yeah. want to say thank you for everybody who, uh, mm. who retweeted, who commented, who shared their thoughts. Mm. Um, and, and I mean, there, there was a mixed response in terms of the question being asked, which was essentially, is he a generational talent? Um, it seemed as though the answers were more in favor of one particular response, which was, you know, he's, he, he, he was massively overrated or, you know, we saw and, and had such a small, uh, sample size of games when we were, that we were judging him off. Um, but then there are people of of of, a, of the op- opposing school of thought that you know he's he he's obviously um, a, a huge talent, um, and, and and you know you don't captain an Ajax side and 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 lead them to, to to what he led them to last season without being a top talent, um, and he's just going through a very very difficult uh, period at this at this given moment in time. Um, and, and people that believe that, you know, we're, we're jumping the gun a little bit and, and we shouldn't be criticizing him so early. Yeah, we weren't really even yeah. criticizing mm-hmm. him. I, I I'm called, a big fan we, of him. We, yeah, yeah, we called yeah, yeah, it for yeah, yeah. what it was. It was mm-hmm. two pieces of poor defending. Mm-hmm. But people what are so say, emotional. What I would say is, is he a generational defender? <laughs> I think he's still got another year or two before we can actually decide. Let's mm-hmm. not forget, he's still young. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, with the dearth of talent at centre back, people are almost looking for that next guy. Oh, he's the guy. He's mm-hmm. going to be the top mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. When you look around it, what Van Dyke, he's the you know the apex. Obviously, you got mm. Ramos, you got these other guys, Kulibali, Kulibali mm-hmm. as well, and you got other you know Chiellini, mm-hmm. but they're like coming to an end. So yeah, yeah. you know naturally, people are gonna say, oh, where's the next big centre back? Mm-hmm. And he's carried that burden on his shoulders. And yes, he's gonna make a mistake, but let's remember this is a guy that's nineteen. He's had to change country, language, mm-hmm. change his whole environment. So yes, there's gonna be some teething issues, mm-hmm. and and ultimately we're seeing this. It's happening in a public forum, but let's not beat him up just yet. Mm. Fair point. So do you guys both back him to do very well? Yeah, at, um, a, he's a very at, good at player. He's, he's 19. He's going to mm. learn and he's going to get better with, with the coaching of Maurizio Sarri. Mm. 100%. And you have to he's also consider good. the fact that he's under the tutelage of, of some v- generational defenders. In mm. Someone like Cellini, mm. for example, would be you know, perfect to learn from Benucci, these guys, you know. So and, and he's probably gone there a bit glazy eyed. Wow, these are like legends. I used to play FIFA and be Juventus yeah, and use yeah, them. Yeah. So yeah. there's gonna be that adaptation period. No, oh, absolutely. Um okay, so now we've we've had that international roundup. We're gonna we're gonna move on now and we've also had a chance to um have a look 
um, and shine the spotlight on uh, uh, Delit. Now, um, this week we saw um, a, 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 a very highly decorated player actually um, finally hang up his boots and say 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 goodbye to the beautiful game. No um, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, so, I mean, this, uh, this, this, this player in particular is, is, is a, is a German player. Uh, and just to go back through his list of accolades, um, he won the Bundesliga eight times. He won the German Cup seven times. He won the FA Cup once. He won the Champions League once. And he, of course, won the World Cup once. So this week we saw, we, we said Danke. Uh, uh, Basti, and we, and, I didn't know you've been there in German. <laughs> Thought I'd add that in there really quickly. The one um, word you know, I heard you. You're shameless. <laughs> cool. So he, of course, um, yeah, he, you know, he, he hung up his boots. Um, and so the reason why. I thought it would be a, a you know a good thing for us to to, to look at his his career is you know is, is the argument I mean I know he didn't really cover himself in glory in the latter years of his his career you know coming to um uh the, the Premier League when he's on his last legs Walking and then finishing sick. up yeah. in, uh, Sad in, see, in in America yeah. that was but if one we, song <laughs> <laughs> if we go back to his um you know his his most fruitful period um, in, in, in the Bundesliga. Um, you know, I, what I wanted to ask you guys and what your thought and, and, and get your thoughts on this is, you know, was he the most influential um, German player of his, of his era? Um, Philip you know, Martin has something to say about where, that. Where does he rank in terms of, you know, uh, it's, it's, German yeah, it's, legends? It's, it's a tough question to answer, but mm. I'm going to rank him as the best that I've seen. Mm -hmm. I know Dej is, is a big fan of Philip Lahm, yeah. but I just feel that Swansaga controlled the whole tempo of the game. Mm -hmm. I remember him starting off in his early career playing on the wing mm. and for him to make that adjustment from the wing to centre midfield just yeah. shows how much of a brilliant player he of was. Of course. When you think of the mentality of, of, of the complete centre midfielder, you think of Swansaga. Yeah. He was the one to stick his foot in when he needed to <laughs> and he was also the one to be a magician when he had the chance to express himself. So mm -hmm. I feel that Balak Swansaga and Lam is a is a toss up between those three in my opinion, mm. but I'm just gonna edge towards um, Bastian Swansaga. Mm, fair point. Um, obviously, as Dot alluded to, I'm more on the Philip Lam side. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a man that's won what 21 titles, wearing those infamous Bayern Munich colours. You know, eight German championships, six German cups, three you know DFL Super Cups for Germany. Mm -hmm. You know, FIFA Club World Club Trophy 2014, Champions League, he won it in 013, mm -hmm. UEFA Super Cup. This is a guy that I never really saw him have a bad game. True. Well, you know, true, he, was, he was so Honestly. efficient. And yeah, what about yeah. the Euro 2008 final when he got packed in by Torres? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you can when he did make a mistake, yeah, you're thinking, wow. Yes, it? yeah. it's like, wow, this guy yeah, really yeah, made yeah. the error. But I think Philip Long, yeah, yeah, I love him. Also, what topped out for me, the way he left. He left in his On prime. High. Yeah, you know, yeah. most players, like you start to see the tread in the tie. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's getting age. But this guy, no, that's not happening to mm -hmm. me. I've made my career. I've made my fortune. You know what? He even retired internationally after they'd won the World Cup. Germany won That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. So mm -hmm. this shows a man that knows what he wants. Yeah. He's going to dictate his own destiny. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. yeah, man, I think Philip Lahm tops it for me. 
Yeah, there's uh, you know, there's no hard feelings towards that. I think they're both amazing players, mm-hmm. both you know, greats in the game, mm-hmm. and it's just good to appreciate the both of them. Of course, of course, both German legends in their own right, and mm-hmm. will be going down in German folklore and world folklore. To be yeah, honest, absolutely. And and just to round up really, really quickly, I wanted to ask. So when we talk about the game's best central midfield players. Does Bastian Schweinsteiger get a, a, a mention in your top 10? It's, it's tough because for some reason he seems to go under the radar. Mm-hmm. When you now, you know, dig underneath the surface, you start to think that how many players were actually better than Schweinsteiger mm-hmm. in his pump because mm-hmm. he was actually brilliant. Do I put him in my top 10 of who I've seen or? Yeah, What's yeah, the of, yeah, yeah. So, in terms of the the, the the players that you've had a chance to see, central midfield players that you've had a chance to 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 watch and view, what, does he rank in your top ten? This is such a tough. Question. It's a tough one. It, it, That's yeah, personal to each individual, but I love him, so I probably am gonna put him in mm, my top mm. ten. But that's probably a biased opinion and he'll be at the lower end of my top yeah, 10 yeah and yeah. when you're mentioning him, tier, tier, 100% tier 1 midfielder, tier one midfielder? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. when you're mentioning him obviously you're talking about Xavi's your Iniesta's mm-hmm. that type of and they're always gonna I think everyone's got a soft spot for them yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and also when I think of German yeah, players is that because you feel German players are mechanical that's exactly leading on to my point Mm -hmm. that's what I was going to say people just see them as efficiency Mm -hmm. they don't actually talk about them as quality Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. the difference but Bastian Schweinsteiger he's one of the best of his generation but I think the Spanish lot really trump him let's be honest I think there's a bit of a gap there yeah fair point okay Um, and just um, to to, to finalise um, we, we mentioned at the start of the, uh, the episode that we were going to be introducing a new, uh, segment on the pod. So it is going to be, um, unpop, the unpopular, um, opinion. Mm. So mm. I, I guess, I guess each week we're going to have, we're going to take it in turns alternate, and someone, yeah. we're going to alternate and someone is going to share their unpopular opinion, um, and explain why they have that view. And I guess it would be really good if, as we always do, we put out a tweet and see if anyone else agrees or disagrees with 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 the the unpopular opinion. No one agrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. Okay, so who wants to kick things off? Who's gonna Who's, who's, who's gonna have the debut unpopular opinion? So I'm going to take it to the Premier League um, yeah. and I'm going to shine a spotlight on a club that I do like talking about and it's not Liverpool, but it's mm-hmm. Man United. So my unpopular opinion is that going forward, I think that Diego Dalot should be used as Man United's right back over Aaron Wan-Bissaka. So what are you trying to say? He's a better player than Wan-Bissaka? <laughs> it's tough. I think he's better going forward. And I've always said that I've always been consistent with the rule that I want my right backs to be able to attack because they offer um, an outlet to to break down defences. And the reason why I feel that Dalot may be a better option short term is that Man United don't have a world-class right winger and you need something coming from that right wing. So I feel for a short-term stopgap that Dalot should be playing at right back because he will offer some sort of quality in the final third when it comes to delivering a football. I think once Man United addressed the issue of, you know, not having a top winger, I feel that that's when Aaron Wan-Bissaka should be integrated back into that team lineup. 
Mm, I think Manchester United have obviously hedged their bets on Wan Bissaka. I mean, that outlay that they invested mm-hmm. in him was, you know, a top amount of money. But, you know, Diego Dalla, I remember Jose Mourinho coming out and saying, you know, this is the best 19-year-old fullback in the world. Wow. And bearing in mind, mm-hmm. he was comparing him with a Trent. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. clearly he's got some ability. And from what I've seen, he knows how to whip in a ball. Mm-hmm. But defensively, you know, he's got some, you know, frailties and mm-hmm. limitations. And what would you rather have? Someone good going forward, someone back defending. I mean, Wan-Bissaka defensively, he's A1. He's A1. 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 Mm-hmm. So, you know, with all of Man United's problems that they've got now, surely stopping the bleeding should be their, you know, main priority. But it's going to be interesting, you know, to gauge the feedback from our followers to see what they think, whether they agree with you, Dot, or, you know, whether they think you're having a laugh. <laughs> to, to be fair, I don't think... Um Dalo is as bad as a defender that he's made out to be. I, I've seen him play and I think he's actually okay defensively. Mm. Fair point. Mm. All right. It's going to be interesting to see. Huh? Yeah, I can't wait to see what, what happens. Cool. Now, I know I'd said just uh, a, a little while ago that we were going to wrap up with um, the unpopular opinion, but I just remembered that we haven't yet had a chance to um, preview the big game uh, coming up. What um, a game. You know, um, between United and, and, and Liverpool. Um, in, in, in years gone by, you know, this, it's been a, a tasty fixture. Always. Um, mm. I, you know, the first one that comes to my mind was when, uh, Martial made his debut and managed to oh, score two yeah. goals. Oh, what, what, a, what a debut. Um, yeah, you know, but I mean, yeah, I, I guess it's, it, it, it's a big, um, it's a big game because as, as, as Dot mentioned earlier, could, could this potentially be the, uh, uh, the final nail in the coffin for swan for song. The final swan <laughs> song for 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 Oli. Mm. Um, will um, uh, the the champions of Europe? Yep. Well done, uh, boy. I, I started there, but I brought it back. I brought it back. I give it. It's in green now. You know, will, will the champions of Europe now uh, manage to? Uh, equal, I think it's equal uh, City's yep. record mm-hmm. Uh, um, mm-hmm. uh, is it 18 18 wins, 18 wins yep. on the, on the yep. trot so it is a very very big game for both teams mm. um, what 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 do you guys feel and, and think ahead of the um, ahead of the, the fixture um, as bad as Man United are I believe that um, this is the ultimate acid test for this Liverpool team I mean Going to Old Trafford is one of the toughest tasks in 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 English Definitely. football, and I don't care how bad Man United are. Liverpool need to deliver. I mean, we've seen games between the two teams in recent years where both teams struggle to break each other down. You get like a ball draw, like what we saw last season when um, Klopp was on the title charge, and I believe this is the game where Liverpool need to make a statement. This is the game where they need to make three points, and that will send shivers down Man City's spine. Yeah, I think, you know, this is a must win for Liverpool. Last season, you know, we saw them get that point, you know, in a poor performance. Let's be real. I mean, this season, no excuses. Three points is mandatory. And if they don't get those three points, it's a flop. And I think if Liverpool win this and they continue to win until when they play Manchester City and they beat Manchester City, (laughs) I mean... You know, we're going to be celebrating that title. It's coming home. And just to, just to add to that, I feel that if Liverpool don't win that game against Man United, there needs to be a serious, serious inquest into that dressing room because that's a poor result. I mean, when you look at Manchester United's problems, injuries all over the place, not playing well, 
this is the best time to be playing this Manchester United team and they need to put them out of their misery and record the three points. And I think Liverpool are going to do that. You know what? I'm not one to um, sit on the fence. So I'm going to stick my head above the parapet and let snipers come at me if I'm wrong. But I feel that Liverpool are going to win 0-3 at Old Trafford next week. I mean, this is a Manchester United team that can't score for Toffee. I mean, they're not creating, they can't, they can't score. So I think <laughs> Liverpool, you know what? I think 2-0. I think Liverpool go there and beat them. It's going to be a comfortable win. I can see an early goal just to settle the nerves. Then Liverpool stinging them late on to record an emphatic win at Old Trafford. Dot, do you want to go even further out on a limb and name your goal scorers? Really, really quickly, I know I've said this already twice on this episode, to be honest, but I just really want to finish on prospect of the week, right? So I understand it was international, um, all the teams were on international duty and whatnot, but Dex can still be a prospect, of course. So uh, with that being said, I want to know who you guys our rating as your prospect of the week this week. Yeah, I'm probably going to buck the, you know, usual status quo. Mm. I mean, because we've spoken about this man on the show again today Mm -hmm. about, you know, potentially starting in the Euros (laughs) for England. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this was a man that had his opportunity to make his mark on this England side because Mm -hmm. space is up for grabs, let's Mm -hmm. be honest. But instead, he called in sick you know, with illness. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. everyone can get sick. Anyone can get sick. That's mm. fine. Of course, but this guy went a step further yeah. and he was pictured in a casino. <laughs> I mean, come on. I'm all for footballers, you know, having a good laugh, enjoying yeah. themselves with their time off. And But I mean, to be pictured, you know, in a casino, yes. gambling, where you could have been playing. During the game as well. During the game. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, Gareth Southgate, I mean, this is going to come back maybe to haunt him because mm. that, that, that's a poor look. You're mm. meant to be you know, out of hiding, you know, not in view. Mm. And, he, you know, he got found wanting. So, you know what? James Madison, <laughs> you're my prospect of the week. <laughs> it's oh, interesting because um, from what I heard, I feel that um, Gareth Southgate, that's the problem that he has with Madison, that, you know, sometimes he's a bit out of order in mm. terms of his, um, his exploits and antics off the pitch. So it's going to be interesting to see how that one develops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with um, with Madison, it's a bit of a marmite. Some people love him and hate him. Some people I think he him. crosses mm-hmm. that arrogance. I personally think he's okay. Mm-hmm. I like a player mm-hmm. that's confident in their ability and he's ready to tell the world about it. But yeah, yeah I think for this School situation... Error. Rookie mm-hmm. error. Rookie, rookie error. And he's the prospect of the week. <laughs> Fair point. How about you, daughter? What's your, who's your prospect of the week? It's funny because I think for the first time me and Dej actually agree on the, on the prospect of the week, but mm-hmm. we're not about agreeing on this podcast. <laughs> I have to go another way. So again, I was, I've been watching the international games closely. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to keep it on the field. I mean, you're one nil up. You're, you have a hundred percent record in, in your mm-hmm. group. Um, there's one more minute of the game. And your goalkeeper comes flying out and punches <laughs> someone in their face. You read his ugly head. I mean, Kepper is a Belaga. You're my prospect of the week. Unacceptable. Not good enough. Yeah, I fully agree with that. Mm. I think Kepper's performance, bail mm-hmm. your team out. You're the last line of defence. One minute to go. 
But again, he rears his ugly head. And as I've said, the jury's still out on him. Mm, I don't yeah. think he's good enough. That he, punch looked like Mike Tyson in his prime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, it could have knocked out a horse. Let's be real. <laughs> fair point, man. Fair point. Again, as always, we're gonna put this out to um to the followers and, and hear what their thoughts are on it, man. Let's 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 hear if they agree or, or, or disagree with the, the prospects that you guys have, have put forward. Um, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for in this episode. We just want to say a massive thank you to all of you that have uh, listened up until this point. We hope you enjoyed hearing the views of Sam Lee earlier on um, and, and and the different topics that we covered on, on this episode. As we mentioned uh, as well before, you know, even when there's no Premier League games to cover, we're always going to be no pre- producing mm. content for you that's guys. It, man. And we it. hope you really, really do appreciate it. We also want to say a massive thank you to all of you that have recently followed. We finally reached our uh, 700 uh, follower um, uh, target. And now we look to, to the next one. Mm, we have 800 in, in our that's sites. So, so, so on we go and uh, continue to help us to spread uh, the episodes and all of the content. Um, all engagement is welcome. Tweets, retweets. Um, comments, you name it. Please just help us to continue to, to grow the platform on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at podcast underscore TBG. You can also follow us on Instagram at pod underscore TBG. You can find our episodes on SoundCloud, on Spotify, on, on, and on Apple Podcasts, on which you can also give us a five star rating. So please do so. We also want to plug our individual um, platforms so you can follow us too. So mine is at Budge Daguna. Mine is LFC Nino. If you want to see LFC propaganda, there's, there's the page for you. <laughs> and I'm also Dej underscore TBG. Brilliant stuff. So I think that's it from us over in the studio. Over and out. Peace. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.